0: This is a Bridges of Meaning Discord conversation. I'm your Vrachtenberg, and today my guest is Meteor Mash. Hi, Meteor Mash, what brings you to the Discord?
1: Hi, Job. Good to talk to you. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, my name is Richard, so you can call me Richard. And uh, I came to the Discord through Paul Vanderclay, as many did. Um, I was listening to him a lot. Uh, I, listened to him, I started listening to him right away as soon as he started talking about Jordan Peterson because I was very into the Jordan Peterson train when that was going on. How'd that happen? So a lot of people, and Paul is one of these, will say that they like listening to Jordan, but then they sort of get turned off when he's talking about politics. For me, it was the opposite. I was very much into the politics of what was going on at the time. So I kind of came in from the other side But, um, so I was really interested in Jordan because he was really, he was really articulating a lot of what was really going on and some of the deeper ideas behind, you know, what's going on in college campuses at 2016, which I was desperate to understand. But I liked listening to him talk about that so much, I started digging into a lot of his other things. And he, he really, Jordan Peterson really transformed a lot of my thinking and how I view the world, Uh, really opened up a lot of possibilities of uh, sense-making and and interpretation for me. I'd love to hear you expand on that. Yeah, so um, I guess we can go back. Um, So... A harp noise. A harp noise? Yeah, when you go back in time, you said noise Oh. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So... Actually, I was listening to your podcast with Aaron, the most recent one that you put up, and there's some interesting similarities there. Uh, I, too, am in North Texas, and I am currently going to an Anglican church. Huh. Uh, so, when, so when he was talking about what was going on with the Anglican parishes, breaking off from the Episcopal church, that was uh, very familiar to me. But I didn't start going to an Anglican church. I actually grew up in a... And in a Calvary Chapel evangelical background in Southern California. And I'm married now, and my wife is the reason I'm going to an Anglican church, but she finds my background hilarious because she's familiar with evangelicals in Texas, but she's not familiar with the very different brand of evangelicals in California. So, um, you know, it's like very fundamental... Sorry. Yeah, very fundamentalist Christian, very serious about hardcore, believe in the Bible. We got way deep into prohibiting a lot of things that were going on in the culture, like Pokemon and Harry Potter and secular music. So that was all very familiar to me. But there's another twist on it being from Southern California. It was our family was also very invested in organic foods, natural remedies, environmentalism, so anybody listening is familiar with the, the Babylon Bee and they make a lot of jokes about essential oils. That's because they are also Southern California evangelicals and they're in the same culture.
0: How does that even connect? Essential oils?
1: <laughs> it's a, I think it's a broader, um, so that's actually a very good question. Uh, so I was one of the first big waves of Christian homeschoolers. And a lot of that came from a distrust of official institutions as also was with the, uh, the media and the entertainment industry like Pokemon and Harry Potter. There was a very, uh, very deep insistence that, you know, there's like the, what was the, how did, what was the expression? It was sort of worldly things of this world. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, the belief was that Satan is in control of this world. So whatever's big in this world is being controlled and manipulated by Satan. So, um, you know, the secular music was a big one, but also the organic remedies and the essential oils came from the more, you know, God created the world. God gave us all these natural things for our use, and it's only corrupt man that has built up all these artificial medical Uh institutions that are taking us away from the way God originally made us and wanted us to handle these sorts of things. Yeah. But so is asbestos. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, and it didn't go too far. They weren't anti-surgery or there was a decent amount of anti-vaccination, but it wasn't ubiquitous. Um, but there was there was definitely and i think it tied into the environmentalism and the organic foods it was this so and and paul van der Klee talks about this right like in the in a lot of secular thinking there's the sacralization of the natural world that animates a lot of the environmentalism for the southern california evangelicals that that carried over and sort of like built this like it wasn't sacralizing the natural world but it was like there was like a crossover there like this is god's creation kind of a thing.
0: Mhm. Huh. Yeah, I, I recognize that and I think in my country that's more of the the, the strict christian reformed people who hold these views. So that's interesting. How, how did that how was the experience for you to go from that to
1: uh, the uh, anglican church? It was very interesting. So my wife grew up in the Anglican church, so she hasn't really known anything else. Um, and fortunately for her, she she was she grew up in a very, very good church. And I really like that church. It's a really good congregation, really good uh, leadership. So I was very happy to be there. But when I first started going, um, it was really, I didn't know what to expect. Because one of the things in my evangelical background was, uh, and this is specific to Calvary Chapel, it was obviously very very anti-roman catholic it was also very very anti-calvinist oh, so boy. there was this idea. sorry
0: oh just just you know the, the way these churches just they identify by pushing back against like we're
1: we're definitely not catholic and we're
0: not calvinist either <laughs> yeah
1: yeah it's serious and that's actually one of the one of the things i really enjoyed about joining the anglican church skipping ahead a little bit um there's, it, in, a, I don't know if this is universal, but this is definitely in our parish and in our diocese, is, is a very loose sort of, you can figure these complicated things out on your own, you're not, you're not excommunicated for holding a different, you know, this view versus that view. So in the Anglican Church, they do hold a lot of the like a lot of people do, believe a lot of the traditional things, like the Marian dogmas and those kinds of things that a lot of Protestants don't. But also, there's room to disagree with that. You don't have to believe that, and there there's like allowance for that in different groups with different ideas, and it's all kind of understood. At least, at least in our parish, it's very very relaxed in that way.
0: Did you have to get used to? And my my, my knowledge of Anglican church is limited, but. In, in my experience, there are more statues. The there's there's it's it's more like Catholicism in the with the clothing. Like, is there incense?
1: Yes, um, and that varies from church to church. Okay. So, how, how did you meet your but, wife? So that's interesting because we we met through two people that we're not friends with anymore. We both had a couple of toxic friends that we knew from growing up. Mine was a high school friend, and hers was a college roommate. And they knew each other. Sorry, cats. They mm. knew each other um, for various carnal reasons. But they knew us, and they were talking and thought, hey, these two might want to meet each other. So we did meet, and we hit it off right away. And it only took a couple of weeks for us to decide to be boyfriend and girlfriend officially. And then we got married several years later. Wow.
0: Yeah. It's, it's strange how, how these things work because you got introduced by people who thought you'd be a good fit. And then those people are now gone from your life.
1: Yes, it, it is very strange. And we do enjoy telling that story because it's a little bit ironic. Um, but yeah. No, our our marriage has been super great and we've been we've been together for 8 years, married for 3 and it's just been so comfortable. And that's really one of the things that we continue to be thankful for is we have we don't have a lot of friction. We we sort of share very similar Sorry, I think my upstairs neighbors are teaching Zumba classes. Um we have very similar views of the world, similar ideals and expectations out of things. And so that we kind of default to the same perspective on a lot of things. And there's still enough variation to where we, we keep it interesting. But it's, it's just been so comfortable. Um, and we're really thankful for that. And yeah. um, we have a baby on the way, too. Our uh, oh. firstborn son is, uh, my wife is 22 weeks pregnant with her firstborn son.
0: Oh, congratulations, man. I'm so happy for
1: you. Thank you. We're very excited. Um, and everybody in our fa- both sides of the family is super supportive. Everybody's been very happy with our relationship. They're very happy that we're having a kid. Just been, It's been such a blessing.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's even better if, if you have a big support network because, yeah, your life's going to change,
1: man. It's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're that age. I'm 31. We're... Um, our a lot of our friends are having kids too, and so we're sort of pinging them, like, "Hey, your daughter's two. Uh, what were the first two years like?" And we've got a lot of uh, a lot of support, both from our parents and from recent parents. So, hmm. yeah, getting back to the Anglican Church, um, my comfort with her was one of the reasons that I was so comfortable and willing to try out her church, and. It was odd at first, and yeah, like you were saying, it is. It looks very Roman Catholic, and it, especially to an outsider. So if you're if you're very familiar, you notice a lot of differences. The Anglican Church has its own its own music, its own Book of Common Prayer. Um, the liturgy is distinctly Anglican, um, but in, in theology, it's you know it's it's obviously Protestant in that they don't acknowledge the Pope. Um, there's no, they don't they don't hold a lot of the the dogmas that the Roman Catholic Church necessitates but there's also a lot of flexibility and r- wiggle room for people who do hold a lot of those beliefs that they should that they're still made to feel comfortable um, on those issues I think I think the best example is there was a theology nerd uh, that I'm friends with at our church and he asked one of the priests uh, what his opinion was of penal substitutionary atonement And the priest responded by saying, well, there are really good arguments on both sides. And that was the end of the conversation.
0: Is that good or bad? I can't tell.
1: (laughs) I think it's good. And this this goes back to why Jordan Peterson was so interesting to me, because I grew up in my very fixed, narrow frame of the world, as most everybody does, because when you're younger, you can only fit so much information in. But when I started listening to Jordan Peterson talk about, you know, Jung and Dostoevsky and all these thinkers that he he's inspired by and sort of his interpretation of translation of it and specifically his reading of the Bible in his biblical lecture series, I was I was really blown away because, you know, and Jonathan Peugeot kind of had a comment about this, too. It's like you're, you're listening to this. It's this is heresy. This is obviously a lot of this is heretical but at the same time it's very very powerful like he's he's really he's really tapping into something here and listening to him go through that biblical lecture series really sort of allowed me to detach from a lot of my dogmatically held views and sort of be able to flex between different perspectives um so, yeah, and, and that's not to say that I have abandoned any of my previous views, but it has given me fl- more flexibility to see how somebody else could look at the same thing I'm looking at, and honestly, and with integrity, come to this, come to a different perspective, looking at the same information.
0: Yeah, I did want to ask you how, or if even your switch from. Uh, let me see if I got this right. California style evangelical church to Anglican church. If it changed the way you look at
1: Christianity or the way you look at God. Yeah, so it didn't really change how I look at God. Um, that made this that that mainly stayed the same, and I think the views of God are pretty similar between the two. Um, but it did uh, have a huge uh, influence on my view of Christianity. So this is and this this is something I've talked to my dad about a lot. My dad is actually a uh, pastor in the Calvary Chapel uh, world. He uh, doesn't have any formal training, but he did uh, teach at a retirement home and is still teaching at a retirement home for decades. And so they gave him sort of an honorary pastorate for just doing the work. Mm. Um, and this is something I talked to him about is in that world, in the evangelical world, and especially in the world I was in, there's a an entirely unnecessary self-imposed poverty of not understanding church history. And as I was going to the Anglican church, a lot more of the church history stuff started coming out. And I think one of the ones that really made me start investigating it more was the Good Friday liturgy. And one of the priests was saying that this is the oldest liturgy we have and goes back to, I think he was saying 200 AD. Wow. So just just having that connection, having that powerful sort of ceremonial um, way of worship really impacted me. And it was really interesting for me because in the evangelical style, it's very cerebral. It's about your beliefs, but there's also this like deep emotional thing going on. That's sort of like in my church, it was like neighboring on the Pentecostal movement and, you know, kind of had, uh, uh, what's the word? Charismatics down the street, but there was very little formal ceremony, very little ritual. Um, communion was. I'm, I don't, I'm sure you've seen the jokes about Protestant communion and uh, the little grape juice and the little plastic cup and mm-hmm. like the cracker coming in a package. Oh, yeah. it was.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't quite that bad at the churches we went to. Actually, there was a very heavy. Um, in, in specifically, our vein uh, is very heavy, like reading back into old. Jewish practices, old Israelite practices, and so the bread that we used was like a Jewish bread. It was the the I don't remember the exact name, but it's a, specifically a Jewish bread that they use during Passover, presumably.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: So it was very much a going back to the very the very first uh, very first Christians who were Jews. So yeah, yeah, that makes yeah yeah sense. yeah yeah. So that was the emphasis there, but. But again, it's they're going through going through like communion and baptism. It was very much just a. It's like, well, this is what we're doing, and there was a very hem- a very heavy emphasis on this is why we're doing it. And actually, I blew my dad's mind recently because we were talking about the teaching of the real presence, mm-hmm. um, and Paul had that conversation recently about transubstantiation and. I was talking to my dad about it, and the church we went to was on the it's just a symbol side. I blew his mind when I told him, You know, that is not, has not been the majority belief of Christendom since the origin, right? And he just, he had never heard that before. He didn't realize that he was on a fringe minority perspective on, on the real presence. And so that goes back to that self imposed poverty about not understanding church history.
0: Yeah. I I wonder why that is.
1: So, and, and Paul's talked about this kind of stuff a lot and it really resonates with me. Um, There's definitely a feeling because one of the main motivations for us being homeschooled was that uh, our parents were unhappy about the teaching of evolution in, in public schools. and, that kind of went right along with some of the stuff that's Paul's talked about, about trying to force Christianity through this. I'm sorry. I've got the cat. <clears throat> sorry. That's right. Trying to force, <laughs> trying to force Christianity through this modernist post enlightened, post enlightenment, post scientific worldview mm. and not appreciating that the Bible was written long before that. And that, the, the way the Bible is written and the, the way the Bible teaches things is not in that mode and not in that frame, but they were insistent. They were young earth creationists and very insistent on the, well, the Bible says God created seven days by speaking. So that's what we have to believe.
0: Yeah. I, I knew someone or I know someone like that, or at least he used mm-hmm. to be like that. And then, I don't know, he broke with that, and you see that with with you know the the Red and Link conversation as well, and they yeah. just they just flip a, a one eighty the other way, mm-hmm. like if all the, if that isn't true, and then well nothing's true, and then you have the the churches like the one you're going to the Anglican Church and let's say the Catholic Church and they yeah indeed they look at it differently, mm-hmm. different things are being
1: taught there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, you know, it's been a very privileged path I've been on because as I started running really hard into these questions about, you know, evolution and young earth creationism and that sort of thing, I started to have some real questions. Sorry, I got the cat again.
0: Was that, sorry? what uh, my- was that painful or
1: was that just uh, uh, curiosity? <laughs> It wasn't painful because... My, I'm so sorry about this. And I can't lock them out of the room because they'll just scratch on the door. That's part of life. Yeah. So I wouldn't say it was painful, but it was difficult. And I was I was very unwilling to let go of my Christian faith um because it had it had done so well for me and it had really given me a lot of meaning and a lot of uh understanding in life but you know these questions really needed to be answered and I ended up running into William Lane Craig who's a name that's thrown around a lot in these circles and he he really had a good, like very clear logical easy to understand systematic perspective on on these things and there's a lot of criticism of William Lane Craig because he's so he's so clinical they say things about how nobody's ever been converted through this type of argumentation but Sort of what he did for me and what I think he does for a lot of people is he's like this, he's like a big shield on your left arm that's protecting that particular side of you from a certain type of attack. So he was a really good demonstration that you can have Orthodox Christian beliefs and not be a dummy. You can have really well thought out, really clear, logical, intelligent perspectives and beliefs on these things and still hold to, to the Orthodox beliefs. And he, he was actually one of the first to really help me be a little bit more flexible in my view, in my perspectives, because he, um, he, one of the things he said was he sort of built, he like described this net of Christian beliefs and how different things that we believe as Christians need to have different levels of priority and and specifically, one of the things that he got a lot of flack for was biblical inerrancy. And he ar- he's argued that you can still believe and be a Christian without necessarily believing that the Bible is inerrant. Sure. Which, which was interesting to me, and I really thought about it. And then he explained it, and he was saying that, the truth of the gospel can still come through, even if there, are, even if there are errors in the Bible. And he was saying he doesn't believe that. He does believe in biblical inerrancy, but he was explaining that even if you lost that belief, you wouldn't necessarily lose your Christianity. Um, so that was really interesting, coming from a from a, a intelligent, conservative, orthodox, firmly believing Christian.
0: Do. Is is Craig someone like that?
1: Yeah. So, I are you familiar with William William Lane Craig?
0: Well, it, interestingly, I just finished his book on guard. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah, he he, the, the person is interesting because he is always happy. I haven't <laughs> seen that guy unhappy once. But I I respect him as a solid philosopher, mm-hmm. and. I don't think he would say the things he says if he wasn't confident in backing them up. Uh, yeah. I didn't know he was a biblical literalist, but he does seem to understand context. So, mm-hmm. uh, I found this book useful. i uh, learned yeah, I'm quiet. I, I learned some new things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the case for the resurrection, he makes very well in, in a way that I have trouble. Well, I basically run out of arguments so uh (laughs) yeah i'm still trying to come to terms with that because i only just finished that book today so i'm still processing it but uh (laughs) what a nice coincidence
1: yeah i'm glad i'm glad you're i'm not the only one like that um one of my most impactful reads was a brave new world and i couldn't say that i understood it after i finished reading it it was like three or four days later and i was in the kitchen doing something and i talked to my wife i said i get it now
0: Hmm. I need to reread that it's, it's on my list of, t- of books to reread. I it's, I read it in childhood and I forgot most of it. What did you get? It's, it's sort of,
1: you know, it's, it's, it's good literature in that it sort of really makes an emotional, impactful point with me without it being so explicit in explaining what that point is. And this is just sort of my perspective on it is it's, it's sort of like a, it's a, it's a case against hedonism right it's sort of ex- sort of going into this world where everything that you think you want is given to you specifically you know sexual gratification at any point and that drug soma if you're ever having a negative thought or a bad mood just take the soma mm-hmm. and and specifically with the soma there are no negative consequences to it it doesn't it doesn't have any physical uh, issues, it doesn't have any psychological damage. And still, even with all that, he really, really pulls out and makes you question, is this really what we want? Yeah. We really want to live in a world where everything we want is just given to us and we don't have any desires that can't be fulfilled.
0: Yeah, I do remember that from the book, how easily Soma was handed out. Like, oh, oh, just just have some of that. You'll, you'll be good. Yeah.
1: And Peterson, yeah. of course, it, talks
0: about this. Sorry, go on.
1: No, I'm sorry. I, I go on and on and on and on. No, so. I,
0: I I have a question I don't want to forget to ask, because from what I understand, you were clearly wrestling with some parts of your faith, especially literal parts. Now we hear about people uh, kind of, well, breaking out of the, the frame and going the other way. Do you think you're ever at risk of doing that?
1: I don't think so, because um, the role models in my life, particularly my dad, were such good, strong role models that I would look at him and I would think, he can't be all wrong. So even, even if I'm having these issues and struggles, this particular worldview, this p- particular belief structure can't be fundamentally wrong, because at least in my life, in my world, it was producing such good results and such good people. Hmm, that's a good way of looking at it. So, and and it, and sort of as I've swam through these things, I've sort of determined okay, some really good arguments for this particular belief that I can hold on to, and then here's these other beliefs that, you know, I can take or leave. You know, I can say I believe them, but if if it ends up being incorrect, then that doesn't blow my whole world apart. Sort of talking to my wife about it sort of I'm a very very visual thinker so I like build these diagrams and representations in my head and then sort of bounce them around each other to see what happens and sort of the the idea I built is like this just a structure where like the center is really really solid but the periphery is increasingly more increasingly more soft and flexible so that way if something gets damaged on the on the periphery it can it can tolerate it without the center being being harmed.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a nexus.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's a good way to put it. What do you do for work? Uh, so I work in finance. I work in a, uh, in the credit department of a large, uh, packaging and logistics, um, firm. So my degree is in accounting. So just a lot of numbers, a lot of looking at books, credits and debits, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. 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 Oh, in the you live in the abstract. <laughs> yes, absolutely, yeah. and it's been been a it's been a blessing for me because with this COVID thing and the shutdowns, uh, both my wife and I have jobs that we can do remotely. So they just gave us the equipment, set us home, and mm. we just kept working uh, as if we were in the office, but but not.
0: Yeah, that, that's going to be good as well. Uh, once you folks become parents, mm-hmm. oh man, that's yeah, gonna, <laughs> that's going to be something. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's, that's a, uh, that's actually an interesting thing I pulled from Peterson on that topic was, we're very, we're very much in favor of having at least one parent at home with the kids Mm -hmm. all the time. And what Jordan Peterson talked about with negotiation, I was sort of channeling towards my wife, it's like, look, um, you've been with your company for a very long time, you have a very good reputation, you need to go into your boss and say, Hey, look, I've done all this for you, here's what I need. I need to be able to work from home permanently. And you can either let me do that or I go and get a new job where I do. And it worked out basically. And actually the blow ended up getting softened because she had this conversation during the lockdown where we were all working remotely anyway. So it got to be a little bit more, well, I'm already working from home and I need to keep working from home now
0: also means she has a job a boss who who can see the big picture
1: yeah uh her boss is great she's very very thankful for him um but yeah uh our lives have been just a long string of blessings especially when you know we're sort of like pursuing the right things i'm actually very very blessed to be at the job i am now because i got my degree in accounting um But I wasn't working in that. I was working at the same company my wife does in TV listings. And I was looking for a new job because it's like, okay, we're going to have these kids. We need to start making more money. And so I started looking for a new job. And it was hard because a lot of the jobs I was looking at required previous accounting experience, which I didn't have any. Mm -hmm. I just had the degree. But um, right at the right time last year, this company I'm working at now was trying to build a brand new team to totally revolutionize how they were doing something. And it didn't matter to the person hiring whether you had any previous experience because he actually wanted to try to build something new. And I fit the bill perfectly. So they called me, brought me in. They got my uh, able to schedule the interview within my restrictions and and uh, fit, uh, fit right in. So it's, it's just a huge blessing that those two pieces fit together so so well for us. Yeah. You,
0: do you see that as providence?
1: Yes, I do. Um, we definitely have a a few instances of that. Um, this is the story my wife tells, and it's flattering to me, but I'll tell it anyway because it's relevant. Hmm. She, the first person she dated out of high school, was an atheist, and she only dated him for a few months. And after that relationship, she she decided. You know, I have to date a man of God. I can't date someone who doesn't have faith. And mm. shortly after she made that determination, here I come along. And she told, she definitely views that as providence.
0: Huh. Yeah. Oh, that's. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, my, my younger atheist self is sort of like, oh, come on. They're not that bad. But. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand her decision.
1: Yeah, and and again, it it goes to that just the difference in frame because then that was a lot of the discomfort she was feeling in her previous relationship was that you know her moral sentiments were pulling her in one direction and the other guy's philosophical convictions were pulling him in a different one and he she just didn't see that pursuing uh, going forward with any with any uh, peace.
0: Mm. What keeps you listening to Paul? Because uh, I assume
1: you're still listening to his videos as well. What keeps you coming oh, yeah. back? So, Paul is probably my primary influence right now. Um, he's, and he kind of fits exactly in my frame, right? Because I said, you know, I kind of come from a, I came at this from politics, but the people I find the most interesting to talk to and listen to, are sort of like center-left types, which Paul has loosely identified himself with uh-huh. in many of his videos. And I find them the most interesting to engage with because unlike other tribes, I feel that when I'm talking to somebody on the center-left, we're speaking the same language and we have a lot of the same values and goals, even though our interpretation of certain events and facts may differ. So... Um, you know paul being a paul being a protestant christian i being a protestant christian we do share a lot of the same frame but his background and his perspective on a lot of that stuff is so different from mine and that when that comes out i can sort of i learn a lot from it um, but even more importantly i i was i was specifically looking for an orthodox christian perspective specifically on what jordan peterson was doing because what jordan peterson was doing was so powerful and so impactful there's something really important going on here and I need, and obviously Paul is very more, much more educated and experienced than I am and him sort of going into this from his perspective uh, really helped bring a lot of light because a lot of the, a lot of the other people that I knew that were in high positions of authority in the church, so to speak, had no idea what was going on. It didn't have any answers, or there were a lot of canned answers. But but Paul was a lot more, a lot more flexible and understanding. And as as he's ex- as he's uh, demonstrated throughout his YouTube career, very willing to talk to a lot of different perspectives. Yeah, definitely. That's
0: that's what makes it all happen, man.
1: Yeah.
0: Are you uh, able to go to? Um, Father David's meetup in Texas, you think? I think his name is Father David. I'm not sure.
1: Um, I haven't really looked into that yet. This is sort of my uh, struggle with these online communities, is I end up being so busy in my in my immediate life mm. um, that uh, I don't end up uh, connecting as much. And I'm hoping that this uh, getting onto this Discord would be a little bit different, and I can get a little bit more connected, because I feel like there's a lot more common ground, and it's not just it's not just a connection based on some passing entertainment interest, but something where more meaningful. Hence, the bridges of meaning.
0: Yeah, and of course, Texas is such a huge place that it's not like mm-hmm. you just drive half an hour and you get there. That's that's yeah. always a consideration.
1: Yeah, we uh, we had, my wife and I had our whole money mo- our whole honeymoon within Texas. It was a three month. <laughs> three mile drive down to San Antonio and on back up, not th- three mile, three hour, three hour drive from here to San Antonio and back up. Right. Yeah. I've, I've only seen
0: a little bit of that, that huge state.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's great. I really love living here. Um, I, I didn't like the heat at first, but I've grown more accustomed.
0: Have you taken your wife to a evangelical church?
1: Yes. Um, so this is funny. Uh, she got very cranky about it. Mm. Um, yeah, she. The specifically, she the thing she said is it makes me a worse person because I think mean things. But she uh, part of the frustration is um, with our church at least, and I think it's consistent with a lot of uh, Anglican churches. Is you have a pamphlet that you're given right away. That walks you through everything that's going on from beginning to end this uh-huh. is what's said this is what we do next and like specific instructions you know come up for communion if blah 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 and for the evangelical system it's not like that at all it's very freewheeling very uh impromptu um, but at the same time there is sort of this expectation of like you know there's the opening verse and then singing and then a talk and then more singing and then the pastor preaches and then some more singing and we close and that's all sort of understood but it's not written anywhere so she found that a little bit unnerving that and the music she despised the music what's the music like uh contemporary christian um and so this is funny because she ended up getting me into the choir at her church because she was oh, she wonderful. was in the choir yeah she was in the choir ever since she was real little. She was not much of a Sunday school kid. Um, so her mom got her in the choir at a young age, and the choir director was fine with it. And But when, we, when I first started practicing with them, I was singing really flat all the time. And she was trying to get me to break out of it. And then I brought her back to my dad's church um, for a couple services. And she's like, I understand now. These songs make you want to sing flat all the time. Uh... I mean, in part because there's no music printed out on the on anywhere. It's just the words, and then oh, comes great. in a guitar, and a, yeah, and maracas.
0: <laughs> You've had quite the
1: life, man. <laughs> yeah, um, and that's that's sort of uh, what I was thinking about because I felt that on a certain level. You know, me coming here through Paul Vanderclay through Jordan Peterson, was sort of you know the standard introduction. But I feel like the further back we go, it gets a little bit more varied.
0: Yeah, and and I'm just I'm just so happy to hear you. You have a good relationship with your family still, even though you switch mm-hmm. churches and and mm-hmm. child on the way. And it's just all you know, stable jobs. All these things are blessings. It's just so good to yeah. hear.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things where we're very aware that not everybody has it so so well. And you know, we definitely had our struggles in our our background. I've had a couple of couple of real serious um, stands in my background, but for the most part, the people in our families and our our church communities have been gen- generally and genuinely good people. Who, even though they get a lot wrong, you know, they're they're they are very genuinely caring and want the best for the people around them, hmm. which definitely helps. Yeah.
0: And uh, when it comes to the Discord, is, that, uh, is it useful in any way to you? Because I, I don't see you interact there a lot, I think. You seem to be a lurker.
1: <laughs> mostly a lurker right now, yeah. I've talked a little bit, but mostly just about video games. Um, it's very pers- Honestly, it's very intimidating for me because being deep into this stuff and reading the books and, you know, listening to Jordan Peterson and Paul Vanderclay and these other people talk when I'm out with other normal people, I get to really be dominant in the conversation and know and be able to express a lot of things that they're not familiar with at all. But then I come into this discord and it's like, Oh, everybody here is probably smarter than me. So can to keep quiet and, and watch?
0: Yeah, it's, the, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, this place is is selects for a particular type of (laughs) argumentative person, it seems.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, uh, and that's, that's an interesting thing too. And that's uh, so sort of through Jordan Peterson, I ran into Jonathan Haidt and I used to be a very argumentative Ah. person too. And I was very, uh, very stubborn and my, My younger brother can tell you a lot about that, but, and I, so sort of going back into the politics side of things, I was never comfortable with just dismissing people, um, people who disagreed with me. So, and that happens a lot and that's a lot of what the, you know, goes on on social media is just dismissal and attribution of motives, but I really wanted to find out. was going on so jordan peterson had an interview with jonathan Haidt, which led me to start looking into him and then i read his book righteous mind which i'm sure 75 percent of the people on the discord have read already so i'm Mm -hmm. not telling them anything new but i really it really helped me understand that again like we were talking about people of different um people can look at the same facts and the same situation and come to a different conclusion honestly and with integrity And Jonathan Haidt really helped illuminate a lot of why that is. And sort of you can see the patterns of that playing out. So that was really helpful for me um, to be less yelling facts at people. Because that was one of the other things I learned um, was that yelling facts at people persuades absolutely no one. (laughs) And I also realized it didn't persuade me either. So I had to figure out what's that about. Yeah
0: yeah that that's pretty much Twitter already showed that
1: <laughs> yeah, not a big revelation, but
0: no, but I agree i mean his his book is just lovely and yeah yeah,
1: I really learned so much from it that was that was another really life changing uh experience for me was reading that book i've listened i have the audiobook and I've listened to it probably five times wow, okay
0: yeah no that's that's <laughs> You can quote from it by heart.
1: Certain portions, for sure. Um, and so, thanks, thanks, thanks to the equipment I've, thanks to the I've been equipped with listening to that audiobook and also reading Thomas Sowell's Conflict of Visions. I feel one of the things I'm trying to do again because I'm I have a lot of politics on the brain is trying to be a bridge between people because I do have a lot of understanding of how both different sides view things. And this is sort of in my personal everyday life. I don't, I'm not trying to, you know, do anything bit large scale on the internet, but just, you know, when I see conflicts, political conflicts and people I know sort of helping be that bridge between it's like, well, this person's thinking this because of this way and this person's thinking that because of that way. And they're not just evil and they're not just stupid. They they genuinely, and sort of being able to explain that value structure, I found, is very helpful.
0: Yeah, no, fully agree. And and Peterson will say the same thing. Like, yeah, people are just weird enigmas <laughs> of contradictions and 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 beliefs and superstitions and presuppositions and yeah, and you you lose all that that stuff in Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. we we got about 15 minutes. Is there anything in particular you still want to talk about?
1: Mm. Yeah, I did have one idea. So, um, sort of in my, my perspective, and like I said, sort of bouncing things around in my history, um, I think I did come up with one, I think I came up with this thought uniquely and I'm sure someone else smarter than me has come up with it somewhere. Um, but this this one idea I had, because I was reading about, um, again, Jonathan Haidt's uh, Righteous Mind and the, the evolution of morality as a group-binding uh, phenomenon, and I was like, okay, so if morality is this group-binding phenomenon, and then going back to William Lane Craig, wow, it's convenient, we've talked about all these people already. Um, so, a lot of people have issues with belief in God and Christianity specifically because of the problem of evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and William Lane Craig's answer to that is you're familiar with as you read his book is that, um, uh, is basically philosophically an inert point that we're not in a perspective to judge whether or not, um, what's going on is justifiable. Yeah. um, And then there's the euthyphro dilemma, which he helped me explain, because I actually came across that a couple of times was, you know, is it good because God demands it or does God demand it because it's good? And his answer to that was the uh, third option, which is God is the good. Yeah. So I had these, you know, like talk about this visual thinker, these ideas floating around, bouncing them together. I said, okay, so morality is this group binding phenomenon And so morality has to be inherently social because I sort of thought about it and I can't see how something can be good or bad if there's only one being in a vacuum and there's no other beings to interact with. And that's, I guess that's sort of an assumption that I'm taking, but I can't see any way out of that. And sorry to Sam, our our Discord heretic, but um, that sort of seemed to make perfect sense with me with the Trinity which is if morality is this inherently social thing, but God is morality, I don't see how that could work unless God was social. And so in the Trinity, we have this perfect unity of three persons. And that just seemed to make so much sense to me as a, as a defense for the classic view of the Trinity.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that goes into the, the God is a relationship unto himself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but either way, God is the ground of all being and mm-hmm. has a relationship with that, which he could, I, I'm way too philosophically, uh, let's say, a uh, subpar to, to know anything about this, but... <laughs> you and me both. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Craig's explanation for, for the Eutropho Dilemma and it 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 makes sense with what I've learned from the scholastics, uh, mm-hmm. g- given God's uh, um, intrinsic goodness by definition of Him being God, and I don't don't quote me on why that is exactly because I can't remember, but that, there was a, <laughs> there was a, a philosophical reason that was logically sound. Mm-hmm. So but, but bi-
1: but that just made some yeah, that made so much sense to me pulling those two worlds together.
0: Yeah, because in, in Hyde's view, you can still say that well, there's morality and it's a group group stability dynamic. And I've seen the computational models and I've read the, the evolutionary biology, but it's still just matter in motion and <laughs> i have trouble getting around that
1: mhm yeah so but, perhaps my view is a little bit more romantic
0: but how so
1: <laughs>
0: you mean in the in the relational
1: mhm yeah yeah cuz i was i was thinking about it is how could god be inherently good in isolation but well, I guess, think. and then I guess you could sort of pull like intertemporal, like is he good in in perspective to the future people who will exist. It's and then uh, you go to does God exist in time? I see what you're getting at.
0: <laughs> yeah, I man, too bad I don't have that. Uh, hang on, yeah, quickly find something in the index of my book on scholastic metaphysics that was lying here by accident. Uh, uh-huh.
1: This is interesting. I know nothing about the scholastics.
0: Well, neither do I, but I'd like to know more. Um, <laughs> no, and my stack of books that do explain, because this is all about act and potency and substance,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it's not yes. about the, the, the nature of God on why he would be good. I have another book about that. Oh, man. Ah, man. I wish I wish I could remember. <laughs> There'll have to be another conversation
1: definitely well well thank uh, you so much Joe this has been a lot of fun I really appreciate it man
0: this was so nice I I just you know I loved hearing your story and yeah g- give my my best regards to your wife and uh, you know dr- drop us a photo in the photo album channel when, once you folks become parents because
1: we'll do we will do thank you so much it's so kind Yeah. Have a great, great day. You too. Bye-bye.